My name is Joel Renner, and I want to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment on this video as you watch it so more people can see this teaching. Welcome to Home Group. This is Thursday night, and tonight we're going to return to the pool of Bethesda, and we're going to go there with you and with Paul Renner and Maxime Yasnikov. Hey, Paul, welcome to tonight. Thank you. Welcome to all of you. I'm so glad that we can be together. Home Group is a great place to be, and it's a great place to study the Word of God. Now, we do have a study guide for you today. Oh, we do. Here it is. Look yes, it. and surprisingly, it's not a very big one, but it is packed with Greek words and stuff that I'm sure will be very helpful for each of you. Actually, on our website, we have a whole series called, Do You Want to Be Healed? Seems like a very strange question, but it's a question that Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he's still asking people the question today. A lot of people say they want their marriage to be better, or they want to be healed in their soul, or they want to be healed in their body. But when push comes to shove, and they realize, wow, if I'm healed, everything's going to change in my life. Sometimes people decide, you know what? Change is so expensive. Maybe it's better just to stay like I am. And that's why Jesus says, do you want to be healed? This is such a powerful series. And the study guide is awesome. I love the study guide. <laughs> but hey, Maxine, we welcome you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. All right, Maxine, tonight we're talking about the Pool of Bethesda. You've been there many times. Yes, sir. Tell us about the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda is an amazing place. Uh, it's quite deep. They really found it, and it's, it's the real place. And what I remember, when we go to Jerusalem, we need to get filming permissions. Yes. Every time we go, we need to get filming permissions. When you watch all these videos, they were, we were able to do them because... So wait a minute, you mean all these stand-ups we do for the regular TV program? Yes, sir. We don't just walk in with a camera and start filming? They'll never let you. Tell, tell our home group what we have to do to film. Well, we, we start working. Like, let, let's say we go in September, for example. We need to start getting permissions at least six months in advance. Start contacting places. And the Pool of Bethesda, I thought it would be under this church, which is on the same territory. Mm -hmm. And when I contacted this church, they said, you know what? You have to contact French consulate. I was like, what? French consulate, but we contacted the consulate and uh, they were so kind to us and they gave us permission and we were able to film. And in Israel, every site is under somebody else's jurisdiction. For example, some sites are under the Catholic jurisdiction, sometimes under the Armenian church, sometimes it is the Coptic church or the Ethiopian church. And you've got to negotiate with all these churches for permission you know, God gives you grace, and you know, we figured out there is one nun in Jerusalem who kind of holds the key to all of the sites. I'm not going to tell you her name, but she really likes Maxime. And when Maxime contacts her, she just melts, and she says, tell me, Maxime, what can I do for you? And the doors just begin to open for us. It's amazing. Thank God. It, it's just God's grace, really. It's God's grace. But when you go to the Pool of Bethesda today... It's kind of hard to imagine what it looked like 2,000 years ago because it's just a 2,000-year-old ruin that has been excavated, and it's so deep. I bet it's 50 feet deep. Very deep. You look at it and you think, how in the world could anybody descend into the Pool of Bethesda? Well, in 2,000 years, multiple layers have been built on top of it. It didn't look like that 2,000 years ago. In Greek, the word pool is the word kolumbrethra. It's only used two times in the New Testament. 
The other place it's used is for the Pool of Siloam. Well, the Pool of Siloam has been excavated and it looks nearly just like it did 2,000 years ago. So when you go to the Pool of Siloam, then you can see it and you can imagine what the Pool of Bethesda used to look like and it was magnificent. Originally, it was like a country club for the wealthy in Jerusalem because the water was so pristine and they developed the property and they built porches, five porches, the word stoa, which means something magnificent. It had mosaics, frescoes. I'm sure it had statues. It had beautiful terracotta tiles on the roof. And if you'd been able to peek into that place, you would have seen the intelligentsia of the city eating lunch under the porches, being served by servants and swimming in the water and talking and recreating and fellowshipping. But eventually the water dried up. The water flowed in, the water flowed out, and the water became stagnant and disgusting. And the rich people said, hey, we don't want this place anymore. They abandoned it, and the sick moved in. And it was the sick who called it Bethesda, Bethesda, which means house house of mercy, mercy, house of grace, house of goodness, or the place where God's goodness is poured out. And there was a rumor that an angel from time to time would step into the water and trouble the water, and whoever first came into the water would be healed of whatever disease he had. So the place literally became infested with sick people. Infested. It was like sardines in a can. It was sick people laying on top of sick people. And that's what we find when we come to John chapter 5. So Maxime, read verse 1. Yes, sir. After this... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. The Greek really means being nicknamed, being called by somebody Bethesda. This was not the real name. So they changed the name. They changed the name. Okay, go ahead. In this lay a great multitude. Okay, wait. Paul, what does great multitude mean? Great multitude. It was not necessary linguistically to say great multitude. It could have just said multitude. But because it says great multitude, it means that there was a lot of a lot of people there. There was more people there than the space should have contained. The word great is a modifier. It was a massive, massive multitude. They were jam-packed in this place. And what kind of people were here, Maxine? Impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving for the moving of the water next verse for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had all right so the water is troubled there's two words used here for troubled it describes a fierce agitation a commotion This is not a natural movement of water. If it was wind moving the water, it would have had a ripple effect. It wasn't wind. We know it wasn't wind because there were five covered porches. Wind couldn't touch this water. And there was no source of water in the bottom anymore. It was stagnant. No water flowed in. No water flowed out. And then suddenly, strangely, this stagnant water would begin to be fiercely agitated. It really describes a circular fashion. Just imagine it was like the tip of a tornado had touched down into that pool, and the water began spinning wildly. Well, that's not natural. And the people said, an angel has come into the water. And they believed, wrongly, but they believed 
that only the one who was first into the water would be healed. The truth is, God had created an environment for their faith to be released. This was before the cross. And even before the cross, God was trying to get healing to people. So an environment had been created where their faith would rise. And if they'd had faith teaching, they probably could have all been healed. But they didn't understand it. So they thought only one could be healed. And it was whoever was into the water first. Okay, read next. Okay, verse number five. And a certain man was there. What does certain man mean, Paul? It probably means that the person that Jesus is talking about here or that we're reading about here was someone people knew. In the Bible several times, especially in the Gospels, when it says a certain person, a certain man, a certain woman, it probably means everyone knew who they were talking that about. That person was still alive when the Gospel was being written. It's equivalent to saying a certain man, hey, you know who I'm talking about, we all know him. So this person was still alive, which means anybody who read this could have gone to this person to say, hey, tell us about the event. It was a certain man that we all know. Okay, go ahead, Maxine. Which had an infirmity, 38 years. When the Bible says had, the word had is the Greek word echo, which means he was in the grip of an infirmity. I say he didn't have an infirmity, and infirmity had him. He was really in the grip of an infirmity for 38 years. Go ahead, Maxine. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had... Stop. When Jesus saw him... Jesus didn't just see him physically lying down, but as I've told you, Jesus was spiritually looking into this man. And remember, guys, when you minister to people, never just look at their physical body. Realize their physical body often is a reflection of their real spiritual condition. Always pay attention to the body, always. Now, you can't tell everything about the human body, but very often when a person is depressed, their shoulders were sloped. There's a sadness in their eyes. You can tell much about a person's inward condition by their physical form. And when Jesus saw this man lie, he knew. Do you see that? He made a deduction. He knew the man had been a long time in that case. Long time is the word, chronos. This was a chronic condition. So when you minister to people, always pay attention to what you see. Because what you see may be a reflection of a deeper condition. Okay, Maxine? And knew that he had been now, he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And I've told you that in Greek, wilt thou is the word thalo, but it's a direct form, thales. It means what are your intentions? What are your intentions? Do you intend to be made whole? What do you really want? And the word whole is the form of the word hugies. It really means, do you want to get your life back again? Well, that is just such a weird question to ask somebody who came there to be healed. It's kind of insulting, actually. Because you would think that everyone wants their life back, but actually not everyone's willing to do what it takes to get your life back. And even today, sometimes people receive healing in church, but then they fall back into sickness because they're not willing to do what it takes to, to keep... keep To keep their healing. Yes, Jesus is willing to heal, heal you, but it's up to you to live in health. It would be like walking up to somebody in a wheelchair today saying, would you like to walk? It seems like a stupid question to ask a person in a wheelchair. But you know, I, I'm not, not trying to be derogatory, I'm just being real. That person may have learned just to accept their case in life. It might be that they've learned to live on welfare or in government benefits and the whole idea of getting out of the wheelchair and their leg is working again. You know, that means they're going to have to get a job. Everything's going to have to change. 
Healing brings change, whether it's healing to your body, healing to your soul, healing to your emotions, healing to your marriage. Healing brings change. And Jesus knew that if the man is healed, he can't stay at the pool of Bethesda. Well, if he's been there 38 years, all his friends are there. He's going to lose every friend if he gets healed. Mm -hmm. He's going to walk out and they're going to be there. If the man is going to be healed, he can't depend on government handouts anymore. He can't. If the man is healed, he may have to get education because it's been a long time since he's worked and technology may have changed. If the man is healed, he's going to have to learn how to talk differently. Because he's talked like a sick man for 38 years. He can't be healed and talk like a sick man. He's going to have to learn how to think differently. And so Jesus says, what are your intentions, Thales? What do you really want? Do you really want your life back again? Okay, Maxime, what's next? Okay. The impotent man answered him, sir. Impotent is the word asthenius, the man who was asthenius. He had been robbed physically and it means to be destitute financially. This man had been robbed on every level. Remember, sickness is a thief. And you know, when you really get a revelation of that, you will resist sickness. It is such a thief. I told you earlier this week, I don't get sick very often. In fact, these guys will tell you it almost never happens. I just don't get sick. But when I do feel a little sick, it is such a thief. It's a thief. It puts you in bed. It takes your time. It takes your voice if it affects your voice. It just takes your attention. It's a thief. And this man had been robbed on every level. Here he's called the impotent man. It really means the man that had been robbed on every level. Okay, go ahead, Maxime. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. pool. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Okay, stop. The first thing the man said was, Sir. He answered Jesus, and he said, Sir. In Greek, it's the word kurie, which is the direct form of the word kurias, which is the word for Lord or Master. This is the key to anybody changing. Everything else he said here, this crippled man, is all nonsense. But he said one thing right. He called Jesus Lord. He said, you're the master. He recognized the authority of Jesus. Now, everything he said was like babble. It was just nonsense. It's like when you ask somebody a question in counseling, and you say, would you like to change? And they answer you a long convoluted answer. Well, you know what? One time I tried to change, but didn't work. Then another time I tried to lose weight, and then I had a problem with this. And they get into all this long, long story when all you said is, do you want to change? People tend to glorify their problems because it makes them feel better about the fact that they're still stuck in it. Kind of gives them an excuse that they're the way they are. Is that true, Paul? Yes. And here when you read in the King James, it says, sir, which is a little misleading because it actually says Lord in the original. And even if we read the Gospels carefully, we see that most of Jesus' disciples called him Lord. But Judas, for instance, never called him Lord. Judas always called him teacher. So there were other options. 
this man could have said something else besides Lord. It wasn't just the way of speaking to someone who you were respected. He was actually making a choice to say Lord. He was recognizing the authority of Jesus. But what encourages me is sometimes when we pray, we might start out right and then get into a bunch of nonsense. Have you ever <laughs> prayed and then listened to yourself and said, I bet Jesus doesn't understand a word I'm saying because I don't even understand a word I'm saying. I, I am so muddy in what I'm saying. But the one thing you say right is, Lord, you're the Lord. I'm a little confused. I don't know how to say what I want to say. But you are the Lord of all. Well, as long as you recognize the authority of Jesus, even if you're a little confused, it opens the door for him to take action. Amen. Amen. You know what I like in this story? When you read it, he says, Sir, what I like about it, he even didn't say yes. There is no direct answer. Hmm. So I'm seeing God's character. When he comes to us, he starts helping us, even if we do not say we want it. Because the guy didn't say yes. I checked in the Greek. Uh-huh. The Greek text doesn't, doesn't have yes. It's not there. Yes is not there. So, and so his change came because God wanted him to change. Well, but what opened the door was he called Jesus Lord. When you call Jesus Master, say, Lord, I'll do anything you tell me to do. That's when your change is going to come. So he knew it was the Lord. He, yeah, he recognized authority or he would have never used this word courier. All right, let's go on. He says, there's no one to put me into the pool. And Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk in. As I told you last night, when Jesus said unto him, rise, it is very abrupt. It's very abrupt. Now, Maxime, you're my assistant in our church in Moscow. You can testify I'm telling the truth. Many times when I'm standing at the altar after I've preached and service is over and people come forward, they say they want prayer. And so I say, okay, let's pray. What do you need? And they just go into this long story. And sometimes I'm like, what in the world are they trying to say? And sometimes it's like they get lost in their own story and they don't know how to get to the point. And sometimes I will abruptly say, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm trying to help them. I'll just say, what is the point? What, what do you need? Let's get to the point. Let's get, kind of cut through all of this and let's just get to the point. Well, on this particular day, Jesus is listening to this man who's just going on and on and on and on. And finally, Jesus just interrupts. And Jesus speaks a word of command. Why could he do that? Because the man called him Lord. The man gave Jesus' permission to speak. And Jesus said, rise. And that word rise shares the same root with the word resurrection. Jesus commanded him, get up. It is so abrupt, it must have been shocking to all the people who were watching. And he didn't just say, get up, stand up. He said, pick up your bed. What? Pick up your bed? He's laying on top of the bed. How is he going to pick up what he's laying on top of? And Jesus says, get walking. I can just hear the other people laying there saying, this man is so rude. The man's legs don't work. How insensitive. How insensitive. Yes. But Jesus was jarring this man into a state of faith. You know, sometimes when you jar somebody, they respond and they move in faith. Isn't that amazing? May I say something else? Yeah, please. please do. So the man was saying, I do not have a man. So he, was, he started blaming others. Oh, absolutely. He started blaming others. And very often, it's the greatest lie of the devil that it's somebody else's fault. 
And that's what we do. We say, God, it's somebody else's fault. Or we say, it might work, work for others, but it will never work for me. for me. And maybe you're saying, you know, yes, I know God heals marriages, but it works for others. It will not work for me. Or God blesses those who honor him financially. It works for others, but it will not work for me because I do not have education. It will work for you. It will work for you. So don't think you're an exception. You are not. It, God's word works. Anyway, so... And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the, the Sabbath. Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work and you're not supposed to walk except a Sabbath day's walk. You know, Paul used to live in a Jewish neighborhood in Moscow. Tell them about a Sabbath day's walk. Yes, I actually uh, accidentally, I didn't know what I was renting at the moment, but I rented an apartment in a building that was mostly occupied by Jewish families. And a majority of the Jewish families in my building were actually very reverent families. It was wonderful to be uh, living in an atmosphere of God-fearing people. But on Saturday, you could really tell that they didn't do anything on Saturday. And for instance, and this is a very interesting story, but they're not allowed to, according to uh, the Levitical law, you're not allowed to start or uh, douse a fire, which means that if you press the button on an elevator which, on the Sabbath, which ignites electricity, it, there'll be a spark, which means that you started or ignited a fire, which would be against the laws of the Sabbath day. So in Israel, for instance, there are Sabbath day elevators, which stop on every floor automatically. Oh, the apartment building that I lived in and the uh, apartment, what would you call it, uh, elevator shaft, uh, staircase area that I lived in had a very reverent family on the floor below us. And this is an amazing story. Their son broke his foot. And every Sabbath, while he could not walk, every single Sabbath, while he could not walk, we were either on, uh, they walked down to walk to their yeshiva, which was their place of education. But when they would walk back to their house every single Sabbath while he had a cast on, one of us was at the elevator to help them up to their elevator. Because they couldn't punch the button. And at the end of it all, his son's name was Ben. The father says, it's a miracle. We never had to press the button once. God puts you there every single time we needed to come up. It was so funny because Paul has two children uh, one uh, has four, but one of them is named Cohen, which is as Jewish as you can be. Yes. And the other is named Abigail. All the other kids in that building were named Samuel, Ben, David, Ruth. It was all a bunch of Jewish kids and Paul's kids. And everybody thought that Paul and Pauline and their family were Jewish because of Cohen and Abby, Abigail. Anyway, they were very observant Jews and they couldn't do any work. And to get to their place of worship, they could only walk a certain distance. Yes. Those are Jewish rules. Well, on this particular day, when this man is healed, he breaks all the rules. Jesus said, rise. Okay, that's okay. Taking up your bed, that was not okay. That was going to require work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, walk. The Greek word peripatel, which means get moving. Walk around. Now the man is walking and walking and walking and walking and wait, wait, wait. Where was the pool of Bethesda? Just on the back wall of the temple mount. And you're going to find in the next verses tomorrow, the man is walking so much, he carries his bed out of the pool of Bethesda, across the street, through the gate, 
onto the temple premises itself on the Sabbath day. He's carrying his bed. And all the religious people couldn't even see what God had done. They all begin screaming, what are you doing? This is not a good day to be healed. This is a bad time to change. Get back on your bed. This is not a day to change. I think it's so important because when you begin to change, when you decide to really accept Jesus' command to rise, pick up your bed, and walk in any area of your life, you will meet a spirit of resistance. Isn't that amazing? You know, you would think that your family would rejoice with you when you finally begin to make progress. But when you begin to make progress and you really begin to change, very often it exposes those around you that are not changing. And rather than rejoice with you about your progress, they may say, get back on the mat. You're changing so much it's making us look bad. Just get back on the mat. Get back down here with the rest of us. Get back on the mat. Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten where you're from? Have you forgotten what family you're a part of? Get back on your mat. You can't behave like that. You're one of us. It's really a religious spirit. It's a resistant spirit that resists change. This is often what happens to people when they get filled with the Holy Spirit in a denominational church and they think everybody's going to be so happy. Or how about a drug addict who gets set free from drugs? You would think the whole family would be happy about that. And the family begins to say, that guy has lost his mind. You know what? They have prayed for him to change. They've wanted him to change. Now he's changing. And they all say, he has lost his man, mind. He's off drugs, but he's lost his mind. Just He needs to get back on that mat. That's a religious spirit that is always resistant to change. That's right. And then people start telling you what you can or what you can't do because they're used to the way you used to be. They want you to be like you've always been. Yeah. Uh, Jesus had this bad habit of healing people on the Sabbath day. Oh, he did all the time. <laughs> he just loved messing up their religious thinking. And I, I love the name of this place, the House of Mercy, so much. That's what the church should be. Mm. The House of Mercy, not the House of Condemnation. The House of Strict Rules that are hard, hard to understand. The House of Mercy. Oh, Maxine, that is so good. So, And the religious people, look what it says next. They came to him and they said, It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered and said, He that made me whole. The Greek says, The one that gave my life back to me. Hmm. The same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. And they asked him, what man is that that said unto you, take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed didn't even know who it was. He didn't even know much about him. He just recognized it was somebody with authority. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. But hold on, hold on, hold on, because here's how we're going to wrap it up tomorrow night. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple. Findeth. How do you like that King James verse word? And Jesus said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. What in the world does that mean? We're going to find out tomorrow night. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. But this verse says Jesus 
found him in the temple, which means the man had wandered all the way from the pool of Bethesda. Okay, guys, we've all been there many times. That's quite a walk. And it's a walk up. And he's not supposed to be walking that far, and he's carrying his bed the whole way. He's on the temple grounds. I can just hear them gasping in their religious clothes. Oh, my gosh. That man is carrying a bed on the Sabbath. They can't even see what God did. If you feel like God's done a great work in your life and people around you are resistant and they don't even recognize it, hey, you're in good company. That's what happened to the man at the pool of Bethesda. Keep walking, keep carrying, keep obeying Jesus. Do whatever Jesus told you to do. But I just realized we're out of time. Guys, this has been so good tonight. Well, we'll be back tomorrow night. We're going to pick up right here. We'll see you tomorrow. Wow, wasn't that a great teaching? My friends, I want to ask you to please like, subscribe, and comment on that video you just watched so more people can see it.